We're uh, excited. I am excited to continue moving in the series uh, that we're in. We've been in a series and will be for a few more weeks uh, called The Gospel Changes Everything uh, that will go up until um, December where we're going to have a Christmas series. Uh, I'm really excited about that as well, but we're going to continue in this for the next month as we continue to look at how the gospel changes things. It's really what we always talk about, but we're focusing this um, fall on just thinking through what are different aspects. We've looked into wisdom. We've looked into social media, uh, to politics, to, to what it looks like. To, what is our purpose and our calling in, in the creation mandate? Um, and today I'm excited because today we're looking at what it looks like um, as the gospel changes really even kind of what our vocation is, what our job is. Uh, and I love, we're going to see in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually gives us a title for our job. And that's what we're going to look at today. And not just us, but the church, uh, God's people, his community, and what that looks like. Uh, and so we're going to continue in that. And um, I'm excited to get after that. I, today, I, it reminded me of a moment in my life. I haven't thought of it actually a while. When I was in high school, we hosted, I think it was just for a week, maybe a few days. I don't remember the length in high school. I, you know, I was thinking about myself mostly. So I don't remember much of timelines, but we had an exchange student from Germany, um, a, a bunch of exchange students, a group was coming through and um, they need people to stay with. And a, a student stayed with us for a few days or maybe a week. Um, and I do really remember though, some moments from that where I was sitting with him and he was he had brought some candy and I remember he brought German hip hop for me. That was like his favorite band. And we listened to that and uh, I thought it was the coolest thing and all of the candy was the coolest and everything he talked about was fascinating because it was different. And yet I couldn't believe that people in Germany did things similarly. Um, There's so much I learned just in those few days getting to talk to him and, and learning. And that was just moments that we kind of shared life together, but it impacted me. It actually caused me to continue to study German in um, in high school. And actually, when I went to college, which I don't think I maybe would have considered, I actually started pursuing a minor in German. I, I, I think just because it seemed really cool. And he seemed so great. And, and that world seemed so interesting to the point of like, I, I met with people to talk through what it looked like for a semester to move to live in Germany and minor in German. I spent many hours in groups just having conversations to try to get really good at my German. Uh, that, that faded away. I never finished it. It was very hard. And uh, most Germans I met just asked me to talk to them in English, which was probably because my English was so good that they were thrilled to learn from me. Um, but that experience, meeting with someone, you've probably had this experience, Meeting with someone from a different culture, from a different place, ignites often this excitement about that place. If nothing else, an interest that you want to read more or, or think about it more. This is what Paul is going to explain to us in 2 Corinthians. Paul, uh, an apostle, uh, one of the, the church fathers, he writes this book. 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. He's writing a letter to them. He'd already written other letters. We actually have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in the New Testament in our Bibles. He writes a letter to them, explaining to them lots of things about being the church. 
And he writes to them about kind of this phenomenon, explains this thing that we experience often in our lives, but in a lot bigger way. And how the gospel really changes us and the church uh, when some things happen. And so I'm, I'm really excited to get into this. We're going to open our Bibles. If you have a Bible um, with you here, hopefully you can open it. Otherwise, I'm going to put the lyrics right up here on the screen. You can follow along the lyrics, the scripture uh, from the Bible. I just copied this from the Bible. This isn't like my version. There's no Drew version of the Bible. This is um, uh, just this passage. This is what we're going to look at today. Um, and I hope it encourages us to see what we and also the church is called to and really what our vocation is. Uh, we've been given this really important job uh, and it's exciting and hard and let's let's get to it. So this is 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to go 14 through 21, just piece by piece here as it builds to him announcing to us that we you know, really saying, here's your job. Here's what you're going to do. Um, so let's start. For Christ's love, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. A lot of dying for all and all for dying phrases, but let's let's not skip this first part. What a, a great phrase. Christ's love compels us. This is the beginning. We start here because this is our motivation, that Christ loved us, that he was willing to come and die and, and, and rise and bring us with him into life. And not just that, but our love for him. So his love for us and our love for him, his love is what compels us, which moves us forward. This is the gospel, right? So we're starting with this idea of the gospel that's compelling us. We are loved by Christ, and then we therefore want to love him and love others. Now, we've been talking forever. I'm using this gif all the time because I love it. This idea that we are loved, right? Like our, if we're a cup, we're filled, and then we end up overflowing it. So this being compelled is, is this idea that Christ loved us, and it filled our cups, and now we overflow that love back to him, but also to others. But ultimately, we're starting here. We want to get ahead of ourselves. This is the good news, that Christ loved us, and that's what motivates us. We no longer live for ourselves, it says here, but we live for Christ. The gospel is changing us as we keep moving. So from now on, we're compelled by this love of Christ. So from now on, we regard uh, no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. It, you see, this? he's saying we're putting on different glasses. We're seeing the world around us in a different way. No longer from this world's perspective, but from this gospel perspective, this otherworldly perspective. If you have been with us, if you remember back, we've talked about putting on our gospel glasses so we see the world and the people and the things around us differently. It's one of the things the gospel changes. We also saw how Jesus is otherworldly king. When he's with Pontius Pilate, we were talking about politics. We saw this moment where Jesus says, I'm a, I'm a ruler of, from another world. And so if we're part of that kingdom, if we're in Jesus's otherworldly kingdom, then we have this otherworldly view of things. And consider who's saying this. Paul is saying this. One who, who at one point in his life led 
groups of people to arrest, to torture, to kill Christians, to stop the movement of God's people, to stop King Jesus's uh, uh, family, his army from coming in and bringing this love, peace, justice to, to people. And so of all people, he can say, I have changed how I see even Jesus. And, and even his story, he has this, his story, his scales came over his eyes. He couldn't see. And when the scales fell off, he had a different view of the whole world. And so this love that Christ has, this, this gospel, changes how we view the world around us. This is really important. This isn't Paul. Like he, like, let's say Paul watched a really cool documentary on Netflix, right? Let's say about pufferfish. And now he's feeling a lot of love for pufferfish. Do you know every time he's with friends, he finds a way, hey, I like your puffy vest. Do you know about pufferfish? I saw this documentary. Oh, do you know what they're going through? The hardships of the pufferfish? He's always trying to find ways to mention this. He has this new, deeper compassion for pufferfish. He's just... So he just added to his worldview. He's just added, now I also love pufferfish and have this new awareness, at least for a little bit, right? He's posted on social media about uh, lots about pufferfish struggle. And let's be real careful. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying, I have an other worldly view of things. It's like all things. So it is, a, I took off the glasses and put on ones that work, or maybe I finally put on glasses that work, right? Or scales fell off, whatever it's like all everything I'm looking at is different. Not just now I have a little extra view of something. Everything is different. He's a changed person. It's almost like he's a new person. Well, that's what he goes on to say. The gospel has changed him, has changed his view. Why? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we put on our Jesus, right? We've clothed ourselves with Jesus. We died with him. We rose with him. New creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. He's saying, don't forget this isn't a additional, oh, you have some new thoughts on things. You are made new in Christ. This gospel doesn't just add to us or improve us or fix us or isn't a new coat of paint. It didn't, it didn't hammer the dents out of us or give us just a better life. It's a new life. We have died and we have risen in a new life. This is new creation language. It should remind us maybe a flashback. If we were in a movie right now, we would flash to the moment uh, of creation. We'd remember how God created his people, Adam and Eve, and he's with them and loves them. We'd remember that in that moment, God said, I am going to bless you, and then you are going to grow and care for the world. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. Remember this creation mandate? that is still a part of our lives. Paul's using language here that reminds us that we are part of new creation. Christ has come again and created us new here. This gospel is changing us, making us new, giving us new vision, new loves. We must be careful we don't see the gospel as uh, uh, the ultimate best of self-help books that just adds to our perspective or clarifies our perspective, right? That now we just have another love, but it changes all things in our loves. So he continues on. All this is from God, who reconciled us 
to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And now he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. A lot of that word, reconciliation, he's saying we're compelled by this love of Christ, changes how we see all things because he's made us new. We're new beings. How did this happen? Because we did the right things? No, because God has done this through Christ. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation being making things right, making relationships right, bringing us into the family of God that makes things right. Not just a few of us, if you notice, not just those who aren't sinners. It actually, it actually references that, right? Not counting people's sins against them. Christ, through Christ, those sins have been forgiven and now we're in the family of God and he has done that for all people. That's a, that's a crazy thing. Paul's saying all of the world can be reconciled to God, unified together. All groups, groups that are friendly currently with each other, groups that are enemies, people who are fighting, who have for hundreds of thousands of years been enemies. All of that can be reconciled through the power of the gospel. And then he says he's committed this message. This is great news, right? Great news. God, you should tell everybody this. At the end of this, he starts to hint at where we're going to land today. And he has committed us to this message of reconciliation. He's brought us into his family. And now we join the family business of reconciliation with God and with each other. Not just reconciling our relationship with God, but seeing that things are broken, right? With creation, things aren't working. With the world around us, with people around us, we need reconciliation, things to be right, relationships to be right. And with God, we need relationships to be right. Those are things that broke down in the fall, our relationship with God and with people and with creation. And he's saying, those things are coming back together because of what Christ has done. And you get to be the ones who tell people. He's committed us to the message of reconciliation. We get to be the ones that tell the good news. The, the gospel, right, is means good news. We get to tell the people the good news that God has done something so good and that there is hope for all those relationships that are broken, that aren't right. And so then Paul gives us our job title and a little bit of our job description here. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become ambassadors. I love this, this phrase is scary and so encouraging. We're ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Oh, I don't think I'm qualified for that. Right? But he said, through us, God's people, we get to tell everyone, be reconciled to God. Things can be made right with God. Because God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, who became sin, our sin, 
and died so that we might be right with God. God is making his appeal to the world through us. We get to bring joy and patience and peace, self-control and faithfulness to the world through us, through you. People are putting their hope in so many things and we get to say there actually is one true hope that will not fail you. You might not have been told about this yet or shown this yet. There is one true hope. Now we know God is the one who's going to change hearts, change people, give them heavenly vision, give them love of Christ. But we get to tell them the news that that's possible. And God does that work. And we don't do this alone. Paul is writing this letter to a church and continues to talk about what it looks like to be the church. And we are in God's family. And so I might feel overwhelmed. I feel very unqualified to do this. Drew can't do this on his own. He needs the power of God. But also, it's amazing. God gives us each other. I'm ready to write my resignation letter. If he says, hey, you're going to be an ambassador, you get to tell everyone about Jesus. And I'll say, I don't know if I can do that. And there's a lot of people who probably won't listen to me. And he'll say, oh, no, no, don't resign. I'm giving you a whole family that's doing it together. You aren't the man for the job. All of you together are the people for the job. And so we have the church. We have the people of God. And what is a group of ambassadors who goes into a world, right? What do they do? They, they set up an embassy. I'm thinking about this a lot this week as I've been thinking, what does it look like to be an ambassador? And you, I start learning about embassies. Embassies are a, a kind of a foreign land in another, in another country. We have in D.C., there's a whole line. There's an embassy row, they call it. It's a whole street of embassies, which are all these buildings, which are uh, are actual, like all these different countries from around the world have their little building. It's their little space that they moved into the United States so that they can have relationship with the United States. They have a connection. It's like a little part of their country, their land here. It's like within the borders of a country, you have this other little representation of a country. I actually really have been... Um, it's been kind of encouraging to learn about this. Uh, one of the first embassies I, I was learning about was the Haitian embassy. And the reason I came upon it, because I loved uh, an interview that I read from uh, an ambassador um, from Haiti. And they said, what exactly, why do you have an embassy? This is a picture of the embassy um, from Haiti and um, of Haiti in, in Washington, D.C., I said, what is, someone was questioning him, what is an embassy? Tell us what that, what that means. And he says, well, we exist not to just show off aspects of our lives uh, or not to just show off aspects of our culture, but aspects of our lives. We're showing you our lives, not just our culture. So what that looked like for him, he said, I want people to experience the food, the music, sit with a Haitian person, enjoy a cup of coffee, and learn what it's like to be with our people. Learn about our generosity, our love, and the warmth of our people. More than you could just learn about, about us in a book or reading what it looks like to be in Haiti. 
Whoa, what a phrase. To learn about aspects of our lives and not just our culture. To really be in with people. And similarly, um, I was reading about the Argentinian embassy. They have uh, all the time they open their doors up and allow people to walk in. And they have concerts. In the spring, they have these free tango concerts that have become kind of famous in the spring. You can come and listen to um, uh, Argentinians play music and they'll teach you how to dance and they'll tell the history of it and they'll tell stories about their lives and throw these parties that are free for people to come in and experience life with them, not just their culture, not just learn like, oh, they're into tango dancing, but I'm actually going to tango dance with them and make sure to hear the music and be with the people. You see where I'm going here? We, Paul calls us ambassadors. The church is an embassy to the world. We have these little pieces of God's kingdom. They get placed in communities with people from God's kingdom who have been rescued and are in God's family, and they get to share their lives, not just the culture of, of who this God is and about him, but actually welcome people in, right? To learn how to tango, what it looks like to tango with us, to hear the music with us, to live lives with us, to sit down and, and learn the generosity and love and warmth of someone who is from God's kingdom, a hopeful, loving, the gracious of gracious kingdoms. I, I love this imagery. Now, this um, reminds me also of, of a guy named Ed Stetzer. He's a missiologist. He's a church planter. He's kind of a, a little bit of a guru in church planting world. And, and uh, it, it really thinks a lot about this. And I really appreciate him. He's been a, um, a, a help to, to me as we've started our church here. And he says what a church is, is three um, different things. He's talking about what it looks like to be these ambassadors and set up these embassies in our communities. So he says this, you are involved in making the invisible kingdom of God break through to become visible through the development of a church in that time and that place. So in this moment, in 2020, November 1st, 2020, we get the opportunity to make visible the invisible kingdom of God. That one day will be visible and here but we get to take that kingdom that is our home and we get to make it visible to those around us in this moment, in this place. I love that. that that's what we get to do. That's our, our vocation. It, when you go to work or go on your Zoom call or you go to class or you sit with neighbors, you're getting to, to share the visible kingdom that may be invisible to them. And, and here's what Ed Setzer says. He says churches um, can be three things. Or they encompass three things. The first of them is that we're biblically faithful. So if you went to the Canadian embassy, they wouldn't be looking to become more American, right? You'd be going there and learning about what Canadian values are and, and who Canadians are and what their, their world is. And so in the same way, we're biblically faithful. Churches are going to bring the goodness and culture and the word of God to people. We, our foundation and our core, our motivation comes from our source of wisdom and hope, which is Jesus, which is God. So we get God's word, we have God's spirit and his people, and together we cling to the truth that God has created. A creator of our universe knows what creation should be, what brings life and what brings death, what brings hopefulness and hopelessness. And so we get to cling to 
a God, that God. And so one of our pillars is that we are biblically faithful. We cling to this as our source. This is our this culture. This may be the thing that people would hear about um, and, and know about. This is this is what where we go back to. Was if you remember weeks ago we talked about God's wisdom and you remember one of the versions we read from Proverbs was says start with God for wisdom and that's what we do. We start with God. Secondly, Ed says um, that churches should be culturally relevant. We want to be careful that that might sound like we got to be cool. I don't know if we can ever be that cool, but this is what it means. It means that we, we want to encourage our church to seek those who are far from understanding the gospel and make it understood to them. And so how do we do that? We want to help people receive the gospel message without hindrance. We want to be aware of the places people exist currently we want to be aware of the danger and unrest, the hostility. We want to meet people where they're at, understand common beliefs, learn how to bridge lives of peace and justice and relationship. We want to know like where you're at so that we can explain this thing you're looking for is in the gospel. We want our church to be a safe place. We want churches and the people, the ambassadors, to know the world they live in so they can best apply the gospel to that world, bring hope to that world, build relationships with that world. We want to eliminate all the obstacles we might set up that would not help someone to move towards the gospel. We want the gospel to be the only offensive thing and not us (laughs) causing people to not even get to the gospel. We see this play out um, in our church uh, in in, uh, different ways. In fact, it played out Right away, I can think when we first started meeting last January, um, we had a couple come to our visit our church, and they said the words on the screen were too small. We couldn't read them afterwards. They said, we loved it. We met great people. We couldn't see any of the words. And so I thought, what a silly thing. I can make the words bigger, so we'll make the font bigger. And now people don't have one more obstacle to read scripture, to, to read words as we sing. We see this happening Uh, is we're intentional with the words we use as we sing. There's words in some of our old hymns that we sing that might make some people feel like outsiders. It might make some people feel like they're not welcome. And and we've thought through that, especially in language sometimes that can make people of color feel disconnected or outsiders in our culture, in our church. And so why not change a few lyrics in a song so that that's not distracting to those singing and they can completely engage and that the gospel isn't blocked from someone because of some language in a song. Lastly, I, I saw this this week play out. We had a group of us from uh, Hope Heights got the opportunity through a kind of cool series of God doing things, um, <clears throat> a really cool, not just kind of, a great thing where we were able to get a bunch of boxes of food and work with uh, Highland Elementary and we were able to uh, sit over there for the day and have families from Highland come and get boxes of food and we got to meet people. It, it was it was great. It was really encouraging just to get to see people and do ministry and love people. I was so encouraged by all of you who came to help and even those who couldn't make it, but I know we're praying and texting to say you're praying. But this, this sticks out to me and I think this connects to this. Someone, I, I carried a box <clears throat> into someone's car and they said, thank you so much. This it's so encouraging. It's helpful, but also just, it's really great to know that people are thinking about people. 
it's really cool that you have a church that thinks about people outside of your church. That like you didn't just give these boxes to only people in your church. I thought, of course, why would we, why would we, that's like what we're here for. I thought, but I don't know if everyone's aware that that's what the church is for, but also how encouraging we were aware of what people were going through in our community. Trying to be culturally relevant, understand what they were going through and saying, what's a way that would encourage them now? Just, just food. And just someone saying, how are you doing? You guys need anything? And for them, that was, wow, you're thinking about people outside of your church. And what an important thing. Not only are we biblically faithful, but we're culturally relevant. We're thinking of what the people coming to our church and even us in our church, what are obstacles? What are things that can help us get them the gospel? And lastly, uh, the thing that our, the church is, is a countercultural community. It's a community that bears with one another, a community that loves without return. We, we don't necessarily see, we don't see our community as mini marts instead of embassies where people can come and take, but instead a family that loves and encourages, that doesn't go anywhere, that isn't there just to grab things and leave, but it's a, it's a community that you stick with and sticks with you. We are not bound by some economy uh, of equal serving. What I mean by that is uh, th- this phrase, which I will say sometimes, I will say, oh, but I owe you one. Right? It's a community that I would hope I owe you one really isn't in our vocabulary because our service to one another isn't about some kind of friendship economy where, well, they help me, so I better help them. They did something nice, so I better do something nice. Or they don't do really, they never really help. They don't really ever ask. So why should I? We're, we're counterculture. We don't. We, we worship a God who came and saved us when we were enemies of his. A gospel that is so imbalanced, we could never pay him back. And so we're a community that does not function in that way. The gospel is a gospel of generosity, and we see that play out as we're not self-serving, but we have this joyful hospitality. God's embassies get this opportunity to share lives with people through our hospitality, through our welcoming of people, moving into people's lives and maybe pulling people into our lives, not because we gain something or collect something or even grow in reputation, but because God himself came to earth to die on a cross and save his family from eternal separation from him, an act we could never repay. And we get to do the same. We get to give people a piece of what God's kingdom looks like, a very visible piece of what God's kingdom looks like. We're a community that's not bound by race or age or occupation or economic status or even interest, other than our interest in Jesus, right? He, this is countercultural. We get to, we got Packer fans and Viking fans who aren't just friendly, but love each other and call each other family. We've got Republicans and Democrats calling each other family. We have hip hop and country music lovers. Yeah, can you believe that? Calling each other family. We hear about grandmas who visit prisoners to teach them and help them get their GEDs and they call each other 
family, not thinking of each other as better or worse, but both rescued by Jesus, both sentenced to death and pulled from their graves because of Jesus. This is this is crazy. We can be at times in a culture where people are as fast as they can looking for a reason to divide and, and turn against and put people down. And we are a culture that says we are, we are family. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. calls this the beloved community. He says we should strive to be the beloved community. He says this when talking to a group of people um, about who are saying, who are actually referring to some of the people who are um, physically hurting them, opposed to them, even maybe pro- promoting segregation, what, what we would call their enemies in the civil rights movement. He says this, uh, but, but we're a beloved community. And he says, let us fight passionately and unrelentingly. Unrelent- for the goals of justice and peace and reconciliation. Let us be sure that our hands are clean in this struggle. Let us never fight with falsehood or violence or hate or malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely crumbled in Montgomery, that we will be able to live with people as brothers and sisters. Oh, my friends, our aim must not be to defeat Mr. Engelhart, not to defeat Mr. Sellers or Mr. Gale or Mr. Parks. Our aim must be to defeat the evil that's in them, but our aim must be to win the friendship of Mr. Gale and Mr. Sellers and Mr. Engelhart. We must come to the point of seeing that our ultimate aim is to live with all men as brothers and sisters under God and not be their enemies or anything that goes with that type of relationship. Someone must have the sense enough and religion, faith enough to cut off the chains of hate and evil. And this can only be done by our love. You hear that? I mean, the people that I consider enemies are not even considering hurting me. They just maybe believe different stuff. He's saying when this ends, I want to call these people brothers and sisters because that is what God calls us as we are reconciled. Now, we aren't going to do these three things. Oh, pointed the wrong way. We aren't going to do these three things well, right? We're going to forget the truth and wisdom that comes from God, and we're going to allow our culture, maybe even us trying to be culturally relevant, to change what truth is. We might forget the world around us and that we're called to bless it and be in it, and we might um, become people who are isolated telling of a gospel that doesn't make sense to people or maybe even misinformed in the manner with which we share the gospel because we we forget to be culturally relevant and understand the people around us. And we might forget what the family of God looks like. We might become really good at proclaiming the culture of our kingdom, teaching it, presenting it well, making cool videos, even really relevant, great presentations, but we don't live it. We don't invite people into our lives. We just teach about our culture. People will know the culture of biblical faith, faithfulness, but maybe never experience the life of a citizen of heaven and maybe never be invited into gospel community. This is why we need all of us. This is why we all come together to form the embassy of God's kingdom. We've been given a vocation in Christ. 
We are ambassadors and we're not alone. God has placed us here for us, friends, at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights. He has placed us and given us a little embassy right here in Columbia Heights, Minnesota. We get to tell of the great culture of the kingdom of Jesus, our faithful king. We also get to share the lives of the people around us, showing them what it looks like to be in God's family, inviting them in to that family. This seems very difficult. I don't do this well. I don't know if I ever will do this all that well. <clears throat> and so as we end, let's remember the one who does do this and does do the work. And he is the king and he is our leader and he's the one who, who is our good shepherd. Let us remember that our vocation as ambassadors is just to point people to give the message of the one who does this perfectly. The one who's faithful to God's word, who knows all people in their lives and draws people into the beloved community. Let's not forget this. Remember, remember the end of this passage as we move towards communion here. Remember this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you as Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Jesus is the sinless one who became our sin. He's the one who saves people, and we get to tell people of that good news. Remember the one who had no sin and became sin, who makes us right with God, and let us help others know that good news. Let us cling to him as we share our lives with others, inviting those to be alongside us. Let's not just share the culture, but our lives with those so that they too could know what it looks like to be reconciled.